So uh, let's make a start. My name's John. If you don't know me, I'm one of the um, pastors here. And if, you, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, um, you might want to open it up to, to Matthew chapter 7 today. That's where we're going to be. Um, that's where we're gonna be. Um, in verse 9, Jesus said, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's a wonderful passage about our heavenly Father. And um, as, as Nigel said, I want to start by saying happy, happy Toblerone Day, or Father's Day, as some people like to call it. Um, I became a dad um, eight, just about eight years ago now, and I can still remember that first day where Abby and I brought our daughter Hope home for the first time in that little basket thing, put her down on the floor and just thought, what, what do we do now then? You know, <laughs> I hadn't got a clue what to do. Um, and um, just, I just couldn't believe that they actually just let you take them home like that, that there's no test <laughs> or something that you have to pass. And we had no idea what we were doing. And of course, not much really has changed since then. And I don't really feel like I... I'm that much closer to looking like whatever a good father is supposed to look like. Um, and that is literally the case, actually. Just this last weekend, our kids were um, out playing outside the front of the house with some neighbours' kids. And um, so I thought, well, I, I sort of was out, out there pretending to fix my bike so that I could sort of keep an eye on them. And one of Hope's um, new friends, she looked at me and she looked a little bit confused and she asked Hope, she was like, who's that? Is that, is that your brother? And uh, I just thought, poor Hope, how is she going to answer the, the inevitable follow-up question? So, so, so why is your dad a boy? Um, you know, parenting, it's filled with highs and lows, isn't it? Same weekend, um, I think it was that morning, actually, um, I had got up early to give um, Abby a bit of a lie-in, got up with the kids, um, so that she could, you know, hear the sound of us shouting at each other from the comfort of bed. And... <laughs> And, um, but it, it started out okay, and the kids were playing quietly. And, um, and, and I had, we're trying to move house at the moment, so I had quite a bit of life admin to do. So I thought, I'm going to take advantage of this calm, get my laptop out and do a little bit of admin. So I was working away, um, but I have to say that probably one of my sort of strengths slash weaknesses in life is that when I'm focused on a task, I can be, you know, pretty focused. But that means that sometimes... Um, I sort of sometimes lose a little bit of perspective on what's going on around me. I don't know if this is a sort of an uncommon dad trait. Multitasking is not my strength. And so meanwhile, the kids quietly decided that they were going to um, reenact one of their favourite stories, which is uh, George's Marvellous Medicine, um, the book. So they basically they went around the house gathering together all these different liquids that they could find to make a potion, you know, so like milk and apple juice and, and uh, shampoo and what have you. I was completely oblivious to this um, until I heard these two ominous words from the kitchen. Oh no. And that sort of like, my senses awoke. And I dashed in there to see that um, they had decided to freeze the potion, um, but had accidentally tipped it inside the freezer drawer. And so I dashed in, I was like, what are you doing? And uh, immediately Hope replied, don't blame us. You were supposed to be keeping an eye on us. <laughs> So, thought, so, wow, she is her mother's daughter. <laughs> so, being a dad has been the most challenging thing that I've ever done in life. 
and every day I make a new mistake and I continue to feel unqualified and un incompetent. But at the same time, I know that it is my job, that God has chosen me to be the father for Hope and Barney. And so I'm going to try my best to help them, you know, grow up and learn and, and pursue their dreams and make good friends. But the one thing that sort of makes it doable for me is that I feel like I'm absolutely clear about what is my primary purpose and goal as a dad. And that is to ensure that my kids grow up knowing that they are loved. Loved by me, loved by Abby, and loved by their heavenly father. That, we, that we're for them, and we always will be. And today I want to talk about how we are loved by our Heavenly Father, how He is for us. You know, this year, we're, as a church, our, our vision emphasis for the year is for Jesus, for Nottingham, for you. And uh, a few months ago, Susie was, was talking about how if, if, if we want to be a church that is, that's like for Nottingham, if we want to be a church that, that turns looks outwards and says to the world, you know, we're here for you, then we can only do that effectively if we first understand and know that our Heavenly Father, He loves us and He's for us. And I'm just going to share a, a quote from Simon Ponsonby that Susie shared. Simon said, it's one thing to believe that God is. It's an altogether different thing to believe that God is for me. Do you believe that God is for you? Only in grasping and being grasped by this fact will you become the person and live the life that God desires for you. And so today I want to ask you that question. Do you believe that your Father is for you? It's a big question because it's not something that we can objectively prove. And things often happen in life that, that can fill us with uncertainty about that. Like, you know, when we go through difficult experiences in life and we're left asking this question, like, where is God in... Does God not care? Why has he sent this illness to someone in our family? Why has he let that thing happen? You know, when we switch on the TV and we see bad news, we heard this week, I think it's over 4,000 jobs uh, are going to be lost over the next couple of years at Rolls-Royce, down, you know, down the road at Derby. There'll be people in this room who are going to be affected by that. Or when we see some of the more acute suffering and injustice that's going on around the world. For some of you here today, it might be, you know, your own experience of your earthly father was, was really negative. And that's made this whole topic today, you know, hard to engage with to begin with. Or it might be, you know, for some people, it might be hard to believe that your father loves you simply when you open up the Bible. I know that sounds ironic, but, but you know, if I'm honest, sometimes when I read things that are father does particularly in the old testament some of the things that god says and does i find that challenging to reconcile that with the picture of a loving father that i have in my mind you know something like the way he sort of sends a flood that flood in genesis and all those people die or you know he seems to sanction wars and the sacrifices that he appears to demand i, I, I suspect i'm probably not the only person who doesn't find it hard to, to, to read the old testament sometimes without having your view of your father challenged and if you read books by you know, some of these um, atheist writers like um, Dawkins and Hitchens and Sam Harris, or if you listen to somebody like Stephen Fry when he's talking about faith, those are all the things that they're really quick to highlight. They're quick to highlight those things and ask the question, how can this loving father, how can God love us if, he, if he's so sort of 
comfortable with suffering and so approving of war and so you know, willing to sanction punishments and burden his children with all these rules for life. How can he be truly loving and for us? These are really real questions, aren't they? And these are things that can cast doubts in our minds and our hearts. And I think, you know, I observe this all the time when I'm engaging here with people who are exploring faith. You might be here this morning exploring faith. And often something that I think I see is that people have this tension that they're carrying, where on one hand, they, they have this sincere belief that there is a God and that they have this sense that he loves them. And maybe they've come in here and they feel like they've really experienced his presence. But on the other hand, they have these experiences in life that might seem to sort of counter that. And they're trying to work out how these two things work in tension. And one thing that I can personally testify to is that 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 tension, it doesn't just evaporate permanently when we start to follow Jesus. Particularly in the dark seasons of life, this question can resurface and we have to wrestle with it again. And so, you know, if you're here today exploring faith or whether you're here as a long-term Christian, I don't think you're alone if sometimes you find yourself wondering, so is my father for me? But you know, I believe in my heart that he is. I really do believe that he is and that he, he longs for you to know and experience his love for you such that it will overflow from you into the lives of those around you. And what I wanna do this morning is try and under- explain on what basis I believe that. And so I'm gonna make um, a, few, a few thoughts, a few points. First one is this. If you wanna know how your heavenly father feels about you, Look to your earthly father. It's going back to these words in Matthew. Jesus said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, Jesus said these words, um, they're recorded in Matthew's gospel as part of a big chunk of teaching between sort of about chapters five and seven that we, we, we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And this is some of Jesus' most famous teaching, that, past, that sort of section that includes famous things like the phrase, treasure in heaven, the, the Lord's prayer is in there, that bit about, you know, don't take a log out of your own eye before you take a speck out of somebody else, whatever that is, you know, that bit. Very famous. <laughs> And um, these words are so familiar to us <laughs> that it's possible that we, can, that we can overlook how revolutionary they were to the original audience at the time. So, you know, for example, in chapter 6, when Jesus teaches this Jewish audience the Lord's Prayer, and he teaches them to pray, Our Father, we can overlook the fact that that language was, was a bit of a paradigm shift for them at the time, because... Because whilst there were, there were some references to God as a father figure, that isn't the way that they thought they could engage with him. This was a God that they feared and revered. And they didn't believe that sort of level of intimacy was even possible. They, they, their whole religious outlook really was, was really about, you know, just trying to live good moral lives in the hope that they could please God. And they lived with this fear that he was sort of up there somewhere waiting for them to trip up so that he could punish them. And Jesus... In, in this teaching, he smashes that perception by explaining, no, God is not your adversary. He's not some angry man in the sky waiting for you to, to trip up. He wants to protect and provide for you. He's, he's a loving father, and he's for you. 
And he uses this, this, this obvious truth that we're all familiar with to teach a revolutionary le lesson. He says, you know, think about the most basic parenting scenario. A child asks their father for a loaf of bread. No respectable parent is going to, you know, use that as an opportunity to trick their kid and give them a stone. So what makes you think that your heavenly father would be like that? And it's a really simple point, it's a really simple illustration, but I believe that it, it speaks directly into this question of the human heart. How does God really feel about me? Well, he, he, he's like a loving father. It's as simple as that. And um, just to illustrate this a little bit further, I'd love to show you a clip um, of a preacher called Andy Stanley talking about this. And just to tee it up, um, um, the situation, he's telling this story about how one day he's at home and he hears this smashing noise coming from the kitchen. I run in the kitchen and there's my 17 year old daughter standing behind the kitchen counter barefooted and there is glass everywhere. It is a sea of glass. And what had happened is she, and, and, and I look at her and she said, dad, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, dad, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And there are several points of blood trickling down her legs. Later, there would be seven band-aids, but no stitches involved in this. So there's blood trickling down her legs. She said, dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I look up and the top shelf has tilted off of its little four little brass things that are supposed to hold it. All those glasses came off, the glasses off the next shelf and half the glasses off the next onto the granite countertop shattered all over the floor. And she's standing there bleeding barefooted yeah and I looked at that cabinet and I looked at that mess and I pointed my finger at her and I said I can't believe that you did that and you can just stand there and figure out how to get out of this mess yourself <laughs> it serves you right you should have been more careful I grabbed my buddy I said let's go back in the office and figure out <laughs> network and you can just stand there and bleed what are you laughing at? <laughs> now, here's the thing. We'll, we'll move on. Some of you, some of you think that's what God is like. Some of you feel like that God every once in a while stares at you in a mess of your own making, your own little sea of glass with all the damage and all the consequences of your decision. He goes, well, there you go. And yet for those of you who every once in a while think God is like that, you don't believe for a moment that I left my own daughter standing in her little sea of glass. Which means you believe that I have more compassion than God, which makes me more compassionate than God, which makes me more godly than God, which is not true, which means perhaps there's something about God that you don't know. So then Andy, he tells a story and he explains how he, he then did what any sort of normal dad would do. He, you know, invited his daughter to climb onto his back and he carried her out of the mess. And he asks the question, you know, if, if we all agree, if that's how any earthly father would respond, what makes us think that God is any less gracious and compassionate? And so that's my first observation. If we want to begin to see our heavenly father, we must first look at our earthly father. But what we see in this little passage, though, is that Jesus doesn't stop there. He then encourages us to look beyond our earthly father. If you want to know how your heavenly father feels about you, look, to your, look beyond your earthly father. So he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? 
And I think this is really important because for some of you, I suspect that there was something troubling you during that first little section of the talk, and that is that when you think about your earthly father, you don't think about positive things. You might have had a very negative experience of fatherhood growing up. Or it might have been that, you know, your own personal um, experience of being a father has been a negative one. And perhaps your own failures sort of damage your view of what fatherhood is like. Or even for those, maybe you've had a husband or a partner who hasn't been the best father to your children. And, and these negative experiences of earthly fathers have potential to do damage to our view of our heavenly father. I grew up um, in, in a Catholic church and um, I remember one of the things that I sort of, I still don't quite understand is why Catholics pray to Mary, pray prayers. I'm like, you know, what's, she's not God, so why don't we just cut out the middle woman and pray to God. But um, I remember talking to a Catholic lady some time ago um, and she explained that her relationship with her father had not been a positive one. In fact, you know, every time, you know, the word father just wasn't a good word for her because of that. And so she found it really hard to pray to men. And so she said, for me, praying to Mary is, um, it feels safe, it feels special. And I thought, well, I can at least begin to see the logic of where you're coming from. But at the same time, I just thought, that's, that's so sad because that is not what your heavenly father is like. There's nothing to be scared about. You can come before him as a child and for some of you, you know, your, your father might have been unfair or harsh or judgmental or even neglectful or absent or, or abusive. And whilst that is really, um, you know, sort of difficult, I believe that Jesus, this is something that he understood. And this is why he said, you know, you need to understand how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. And he acknowledged that our, our earthly fathers are, are evil. He uses the word evil there. And that's quite a strong word, isn't it? Um, but what, what we know is that just from what Jesus had said immediately before, we know that what Jesus wasn't saying was that all earthly fathers are utterly evil because he'd already made the point that we're basically good. But rather, he's, he's painting a broad brushstroke to identify that our earthly fathers, they don't love us with a perfect love. And at, at best... They're some way short of perfect, and at worst, they're actually, you know, bad. And Jesus explains you need to look beyond that if you're going to see your heavenly Father's face. And for me, um, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I've got a really loving dad. I think I've told you a little bit about him in the past. He's, um, he's a total geek. He has an eccentric dress sense, especially in his old age. Um, his definition of lateness is less than 15 minutes early. And he can talk at length about the UK road and rail network. I mean, he really can. And he's known to my sister and I as worst case scenario man because he is extremely risk averse and pessimistic. And to the point where, even today, he rang me up this week one evening and I was, I was working here and eventually said, oh, dad, I've got to get off the phone now because I need to get back home. And he's like, oh, a bit late to be working, isn't it? And, he's, and then I knew what he was going to ask me. He said, so um, how are you getting home? And I was like, oh, I've got my bike, I'll, I'll cycle home. He was like, you're cycling at this hour? It's a bit, bit dangerous, isn't it? Have you got lights on your bike? Have you got a helmet? And there was this pause, and I just knew he was thinking, is it worth driving up from Milton Keynes to give him a lift to Staplefield? <laughs> just knew it. Now, my dad's um, safety-conscious, risk-averse attitude is it's rooted, in, rooted in, this, in this loving, protective instinct, which is a good thing, of course. 
But you know, if I'm honest, there have been times in my life where I, where I really wish that he had encouraged me and spurred me on to, to think bigger or to take more risks in life. And actually, it's, it's taken quite a few years for me to really learn and know and understand that I have a father in heaven who, who longs to spur me on to take risks for him and through whom I can do all things because he will strengthen me. I have a heavenly father who can do immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. And so, and so what I'm saying really is that my dad is brilliant. I'm so grateful for my earthly dad. But I have had to learn to, to look beyond him to understand how good and amazing my heavenly father is. And for those of us who've got good dads, um, that's something that we need to do. Otherwise, we'll put this ceiling, we'll put this cap on what our picture of heavenly fatherhood is like. But what about those of us who grew up with poor or absent or neglectful fathers? And with this one, whilst you know, I can only sympathize, really, and I can't claim to understand what this experience must have been like for you, I believe these words from Jesus have meaning, that he, he wants to encourage you to look beyond that, to look beyond that. I've, 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 I don't know if you've ever heard the story of um, the Christian speaker, Joyce Mayer, who's on the screen there. If you haven't heard her testimony, I'd encourage you to, to find it on YouTube. It's an incredible story, compelling, but at the same time, it's utterly tragic and heartbreaking because she explains that in her childhood, she experienced horrific and prolonged abuse at the hands of her father. He, he sexually abused her many, many times. He was extremely violent. It was just terrible. And Joyce, in the interview, she said, I would have been better off to have had an absent father rather than the one that I had. And so I have no frame of reference at all for what it would be like to have a loving earthly father. Now, those of you who've had a great dad, you should appreciate him and you should tell him how much you appreciate him. And you should let him know that you're grateful for the way that he raised you, because not all of us had that opportunity in our life. But God always wants to be anything and everything to us that we might have missed in the natural. In the Bible, it says in Psalm 27:10, even though my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me up and adopt me as his own child. Joyce's story is amazing, incredibly um, you know, years later in her adult life, um, Joyce was able to, to forgive her father. And she, she even honoured him um, by, she, she ended up buying a home that was near to her home so that her parents could move close by and she could look after them in their old age. And in his late life, her father eventually broke down one day and he came to her, or he called her over and he repented and asked for forgiveness. And, you know, I, I, can't, I cannot imagine what that must have been like for her. But incredibly, she forgave him. And then she turned to him and she invited him to choose to follow Jesus. And he gave his life to Jesus. She led him there. And I think she actually baptized him. It's incredible. And I don't think that that type of forgiveness is possible in the natural. But I believe it is possible with the Lord in the supernatural. And, and, and for some of you here, I don't know, there'll be people in here who have things that they need to forgive their father for. And perhaps you felt like it's just impossible, but, but I think in that story, we can see that it is possible. Joyce, was it was possible for her to break free because, because she grasped how much more her heavenly father loved her by, by reading 
stuff about her Heavenly Father in this book. And through these words, the Lord was able to help her unlearn the definition of fatherhood that the world had dealt her and instead enable her to see her Heavenly Father for who he really was. And as I was um, writing this, this sort of illustration came to my mind that I thought might help to sort of illustrate this a little bit and the media team helped us capture it this week. It'll come up on the screens. So effectively, what Jesus is saying in this passage is if you want to understand the way that your heavenly father feels about you, if you want to understand what he's like, then the best place to start is, is by having a look at your, at your earthly father. He says, just take a look at just a, you know, an everyday fathering situation where a child comes to his dad and asks for a loaf of bread. And we all know what happens. A, a father in that situation is not looking for an opportunity to, to play a trick on his child or, or trip him up in some way. He, he gives him the loaf of bread because he's, he's loving. And so Jesus, in effect, is saying, if you want to understand what your heavenly father is like, take a look at your earthly father and you'll see a reflection of him there. You'll see his kindness, his provision, his, his protection. But the other thing that he highlighted was that at the end of the day, though, this is merely just a reflection. Because the way that our earthly fathers love us is, is incomplete. It's, it's not totally perfect. And the reality is that our, our earthly fathers, they have negative aspects and elements to their characters. And the way that they father us is always, not always, perfect. Sometimes they're unkind. Sometimes they're selfish. And Jesus says, if you want to get the full picture of what your heavenly father is like, you need to be able to, to look beyond this and consider how much more your heavenly father loves you. And then you'll be able to see his face more clearly. And this might be meaningful to you. As you reflect on your, on your earthly father, you might, you might reflect that how there were times when he perhaps wasn't so kind to you. There might have been times when he was, he was quick-tempered. And these shortcomings, these type of shortcomings, what they do is they provide, in a sense, the shadow. They provide the contrast to demonstrate the things that our Heavenly Father is not. So if your earthly father is quick-tempered, you can go to Psalm 103, for example, in the Bible and read that your Heavenly Father, he's, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. If your earthly father is judgmental, and he would often criticise you for the mistakes that you'd made in the past. That same psalm will tell you that your heavenly father is not like that. He's forgiving. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And so in effect, our earthly fathers point towards our heavenly father in two different ways. In terms of their highlights, they point towards the highlight of our heavenly father's character. But even their shortcomings, if we're able to see them this way, point towards the need for something more, a perfect Father in heaven. And they provide the contrast that enable us to build a picture of a heavenly Father who loves us perfectly and who is completely for us. For some of you, I think when you think about your Father, all you can think about are those shadows. But I want to suggest that even in those shadows, He's able to point towards his loving face, his perfect face. He wants to point towards the things that he's not. And as I say, the Bible 
continues to, to provide the detail there and allow us to flesh out that face even more. I just want to read a passage from that, 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 that passage that I um, quoted in, in, this, in the clip there. Maybe just close your eyes and hear this is what your Heavenly Father is like. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is was from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And it might be for some of you, just as I'm reading those words, the Holy Spirit is, is kind of dwelling in those words and he's helping to, to redefine what your heavenly father is, is like. But I appreciate that for some of us still though, it, it might still be a little bit more complicated than that because just our life experiences have shaken our trust in God, our Father, that little bit too much. And it might be as you look to these words of Jesus, just going back to chapter 7 again, you're still left with questions. Where it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The question that's on your mind as you look at your life is, well, if that's true, if my heavenly Father loves me, where are all these, these good gifts that he's talking about? You know, it's great for those that have experienced great blessings in life, but why is it that those blessings and those gifts don't seem to be spread out a bit more fairly? Why is it that you know, some people live in suffering whilst other people live in comfort, and, and one person gets healed one day when another person doesn't, and one person gets to have a loving family and another one doesn't? And one person is academically gifted whilst another one grows up with a learning difficulty? And one person has a loving earthly father and one person has an abusive father. Why is one person's life full and long and rich whilst another person's life is short and painful and hard? Why is it that some people get to grow up you know, in, in somewhere like West Bridgeford and somebody grows up in a place that's really deprived and much harder? Why is it that these good gifts, Jesus, aren't spread out a bit more fairly if you really love us all? And I think that those kind of questions can hinder us from really embracing this truth. But if we're going to ask those questions, I think we have to also pause to just consider what are the good gifts that Jesus is promising? What are the good gifts that he's talking about here anyway? Because it's interesting actually that um, across in Luke's gospel, there's a very similar account of, of Jesus' teaching. Um, whereas very similar um, words are recorded. Um, but in this account, maybe Jesus was, uh, I guess, maybe he, he taught the same thing from, from place to place, and perhaps different days he might use slightly different wording. But in this other account in Luke, where it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? It actually says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I think if we read those two versions um, together... What that suggests to me is that maybe when, when Jesus was thinking about these good gifts, he had certain types of gifts in mind. And he wasn't necessarily thinking about, you know, the earthly temporary gifts that tend to spring to our minds of things like comfort and wealth and health and prosperity. He was thinking about stuff like 
receiving the Holy Spirit. He was talking about spiritual gifts, about being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And through him, knowing his presence and having a relationship with the Father. He was talking about the gift of of being born into a new life by the Spirit. He was talking about different type of gifts, spiritual gifts that are they're actually way more valuable and actually freely available to everyone, regardless of their circumstance. You know, so our earthly fathers can give us certain types of gifts, can't they? Food and, and, and material things. But our heavenly father, how much more can he give us gifts? That's what Jesus was saying. But the thing that we have to understand, though, is that those gifts, the thing that puts it in perspective is that those gifts, they came at a terrible price, didn't they? And that really leads to my conclusion today. Ultimately, if we want to understand how the Father feels about us, we must look to the cross. You know, when we ask all these questions, how can God allow all this suffering to go on in the world? How, you know, where are all the gifts that he's promised in in, in life? When we even ask the question, how much really does he value human life? Ultimately, we find our answer when we look to the cross and we see that this is how much He values human life. This is how much he loves you. This is the good gift. Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could receive a new hope, a new life, a relationship with him, freedom, salvation. And this is the gift that tells us all that we need to know about how your father feels about you. You know, I mentioned at the start When I read the Bible sometimes, there are some places, I said, you know, in the Old Testament, where I find it really hard to understand some of the things that God says and does. Places where he seems really harsh or stern. And I believe that if we want to know our Father, we can't just, you know, pick and choose which bits of the Bible we read about him. We have to read it all. We have to read all of it to understand him fully. But we have to read all of it in light of all of it. And I believe that nowhere in the Bible do we see the Father's love more clearly, more completely, and more fully than at the cross, where the Father so loved the world that he gave his Son so that we might have life through him. This is how we know how the Father feels about us. So I'm just going to finish by um, just reading some words from a worship song that many of you will be familiar with that sums this up. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son and make a wretch his treasure. Happy Father's Day. You have a father who loves you. Why don't we um, just stand together for a moment and um, I think Nigel's going to come up. You notice that today I haven't really, you know, usually in sermons there's all these like practical applications, aren't there? There's things like go and do this, go and do that. You know, we all need to go out there and be proper good Christians. And you notice there hasn't been very much of that today. And that's because really the application today is to just receive the Father's love. It really, really is. In, um, in Ephesians, it starts by saying, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then it goes on to explain all of those blessings, the things that I've been talking about just now. 
And then it says, for this reason, since I heard about you, your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not give, stopped giving thanks. And he asks the Father to, to just fill them and bless them. And so that's what we're going to do right now. Just, just take a moment to just come before your Father and we pray that the Holy Spirit would come and just pour out his love over us. So come, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the love of the Father to us? pray especially for those of those of us in the room who've had negative experiences of our fathers pray especially for those of us in the room who have just started to become a father and they don't know what they're doing come holy spirit reveal the love of the father